So today's daf is Kavav in Masechah Pesachim. We are starting on Kafei Amud Bet, 19 lines from the bottom, the last word of the line, though, Itma, which uh, this old piece here from, from Kafei Amud Bet until just about the bottom third of Kavav Amud Bet is going to be one subject. So it's, uh, so it's a good place to begin and a good place to, um, to structure the, the class. So Itmar was stated, If a person benefits from something they're not allowed to benefit from, but it's Baal Korcho, it's against their will, meaning they don't intend, they didn't put themselves in the situation of their own choice. But for some reason that was uh, not their own choice, so they end up benefiting. For example, they, uh, they're smelling the good smell of the Avodazara or something like that. Uh, would that be considered, uh, a, would they be responsible for that? Abaya says this, such a benefit that a person derives that uh, they didn't put themselves in that situation is, uh, is allowed to them because they're, they're not doing it on purpose. Rava says that it is forbidden, such a pro- uh, So now, now the Gemara breaks it down into different scenarios. So that is the general idea that Abaye is more permissive here. And, uh, and Rava is more strict. But the cases are as follows. Efshar ve... So if it's possible for the person to avoid this situation, okay? Efshar ve now, there are actually two different versions of the discussion. So, in the first version, the, the, everybody agrees that if the person intends to derive benefit, they are going to be responsible for that. So, that's what it means. If it were possible for the person, let's say, to avoid the, uh, to avoid the situation where they're going to derive the benefit... Um, it, it, then and they and they put themselves in the situation of their own volition, and they intend to derive benefit. So then they are considered to they're definitely considered to be responsible for that. On the other hand, if the person couldn't avoid the situation, but once he's in it, he says, you know what. I'm also going to enjoy this benefit. Why not? That's lo efshar v'kamechaven. Kule According to this version, everyone agrees if the kavana is there, if the person is in the situation where they're deriving the benefit, even though that wasn't their intent, they didn't put themselves in the situation in order to derive the benefit, but they put themselves in the situation, they chose the situation in which they uh, would derive the benefit, or even if they weren't the one to choose it. They were in the situation for reasons beyond their control or for some other requirement that they had to be there. The only thing was that they... Uh, uh, that they decided, well, once I'm here, I'll partake of the benefit. So the kavana is there. So then everyone agrees it's going to be forbidden. But the ish, and similarly, if the person had no alternative, he had to walk down this road where he's going to smell the avodazarad, delicious smell, but he doesn't intend to do so. He just, it's forced upon him. So then everybody agrees that in such a situation where there's no other alternative and the, the benefit is thrust upon him and he doesn't want it, that he's not liable. So if he wants it, then whether or not he was responsible for the situation doesn't matter, according to this version. If he doesn't want it that, and he isn't responsible for the situation, then we can say that for sure he's not responsible. But keep ligi dev shavilamechavit. Um, the, the question is, what happens if you could have avoided the situation, but you, you are in the situation now and you don't intend to benefit? So you could have gone on two roads. I'm just making up the story. You could have gone on two roads. You could have gone on road A, road B. If you go down road B, you know you're going to smell the avodazara, delicious uh, smell of the sacrifices to the avodazara or whatever it is. If you go on A, you won't smell it. You decide to go on road B, but you don't really want the, to, to smell it. You just wanted to go on road B for whatever reason. So, the, so in that case, now, according to Rabbi Yehuda that we know from Masechet Shabbat holds that Kavanah 
it doesn't really matter. So then you're choosing to go down that street, you're going to be liable for that, the fact that you smell that delicious korban, because you put yourself in the situation, and at the end of the day, whether you have kavana or not is not important according to Rabbi Yehuda. He says, Davar shenom mitkaven is chayav, keep ligiali bat Rabbi Shimon. The question is going to be according to Rabbi Shimon, damar davar shenom mitkaven mutab, because Rabbi Shimon always says that it's more lenient if davar shenom mitkaven, if you don't intend. And the classic case is if a person's dragging a piece of furniture across the grass, they don't want to uproot the grass. That's not their intent. They know it might happen, but they, uh, that's not their intent for it to happen. So Rabbi Yehuda says, if it happens, you're liable because Davar Shinom Kaven Chayav. And Rabbi Shimon says, no, since you didn't intend for it, so then Davar Shinom Kaven is Patur. He's exempt. So Abayek Rabbi Shimon. Here Abaye is applying the same principle as Rabbi Shimon. He's saying that since you could have chosen root A or root B, it doesn't really matter. The fact is that when you walk down root B and there's that smell, you don't intend to benefit from it and therefore you're off the hook. But according to Ava, no. Rabbi Shimon was only talking about a case where you have uh, no other choice. But when you had another choice, there's no question that you're going to be responsible for that. So in other words, the, according to this version, the machloket is in Rabbi Shimon. Everybody agrees that Rabbi Yehuda will tell you that if you had any other choice but to go down that road, in other words, everybody would agree that if you had no choice for whatever practical reason or whatever halachic reason you had to go down that road and you didn't intend to benefit, that you'd be okay. But if you're going into a situation and you're choosing to go into that situation, even though you don't intend to benefit uh, from that smell or whatever the benefit is going to be, Rabbi Yudah is going to say you're liable. Rabbi Shimon, according to Abaye, will say you're not liable because at the end of the day, you didn't want to benefit from the, uh, fr- from the item. And according to, uh, according to Rava, here, since you chose to go down that road, that's considered to be that you're approv- approving of and accepting that benefit and it's going to be credited to you or in this case, uh, in a negative way. Um, that, so the, the translation of this whole discussion to Masechet Shabbat, as Rashi says, would be in the case where a person's dragging furniture across the grass. So it says that according to Rabbi Shimon, he's not liable for pulling up the grass because he didn't intend. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, he would be liable. But let's say it's a small piece of furniture that you could have carried easily in your hand without dragging it. So that would be com- comparable to this. We understand that Rabbi Shimon says if you have to drag a heavy bench across the street, across the grass, and you don't have any other choice, and therefore you might pull up grass, but you don't intend for it, then we don't criticize you if the grass gets pulled up. But what if it's a very light piece of furniture that you could easily carry, and you decide to to drag it across the grass, and of course, you don't intend for the grass to get pulled up, but you decided to drag it across the grass when you didn't have to, and then the grass gets pulled up. Do we consider the fact that you decided to do it? Um, also a type of kavana. That's the machloket here between Abaye and Rava according to the first version. But let's take a look at the second version. Ikadamai, another version is No, that Abaye and Rava agree that if you had a choice, like for, the, for example, if you had a choice, you, were, you had a light piece of furniture that you could have carried on your shoulder um, and you decide to drag it, but you don't intend to pull out the grass. That's exactly where Rabbi Shimon says that you are not responsible for what happens, even though you chose to drag it. You didn't have to drag it. You're not responsible. Meaning, according to this version, both Rava and Abaye agree that Rabbi Shimon would say that you're not liable in that case. However, again, if you had no choice but to do it and you didn't intend for the result, everyone agrees that you are not liable in that case because you had no choice. You had to do it. And you didn't really want the result that was going to come out of it that was a prohibited result, so we're not going to hold you responsible for that. But keep The question where they argue is where you had no other choice, and once you're in the situation, you say, you know what? I have no choice but to go down this road. I know there's going to be a delicious smell 
of the uh, Avodah Zorah. I'm just going to enjoy it. Uh, what's the difference? Or a person says, I have to drag this heavy piece of furniture for whatever reason across the grass. I might as well hope that it pulls out some grass so that I can save money on my lawn mowing or whatever. So in that case, that would be the issue. Now this time we're going to say the opposite. We're going to say that since in this case you have kavana, um, and you... Uh, even though you didn't have another way to go about it, but you have Kavanan, Rabbi Shimon attaches a lot of value to your intent. He's going to say, according to this, that since you had intent and you said, you know what, I'm going to save money on my lawn mowing bill, so therefore we're going to hold you liable for that, even though you didn't have another choice but to uh, pull, but drag the piece of furniture, but your Kavanah makes it a problem. Before we said that according to Rabbi Shimon, that wouldn't be a problem since you had no other choice. But uh, I'm, I'm sorry, according to what we said before, according to the first version, we said that in, in the case where you don't have any other choice, right? Before it said that if you have no choice and you, and you uh, have intent, so everybody agrees that you're going to be liable. Both Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda will say you're liable in that case because all we care about, according to the first version, is the kavana. Here we're saying the other way. We're saying that according to Rabbi Shimon, you would be liable in this case. But in, now this is the ironic twist. Keep asur. So he said that that the um, that according to this version, Rabbi Yehuda would say. Normally, Rabbi Yehuda says what that when, when that kavana doesn't matter. We look at just the outcome, right? So therefore, we would say this: Abaye Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda, Abaye saying that I hold like Rabbi Yehuda. And since in this particular case, the, 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 it says, normally, what does Rabbi Yehuda say? He says, Lashna mitkavin velashna shein mitkavin, right? Efshar asur, since the, uh, since in this situation, um, the, uh, when you're, when you're capable of, when you're making the choice, it's definitely, you're definitely going to be liable. Abayek Rabbi Yehuda, Vrava Malach, Adgano Kama Rabbi Yehuda, shein mitkavin ke mitkavin al lechumra, aval mitkavin, ke shein mitkavin lekula, Look, so according to this, there's an irony that Rabbi Yehuda, because he discounts the significance of Kavana, so what will he say? He will say in this case that, uh, and, and we see on the bottom, Rashi, Rashi kind of spells it out, um, that, uh, that he says, Since Rabbi Yehuda, when it is possible for you to avoid the situation, says that you are liable, since you didn't have a choice otherwise, so that according to Rabbi Yehuda, all, it, all we look at is whether you had the ability to avoid the situation or not. We don't care about your kavana. So therefore, there's going to come, at, according to Rabbi he's going to say, So we're going to have an ironic situation that all we look at is the external circumstance, according to Rabbi Yehuda. We don't look at your kavana, and according to Abaye, that's going to lead to a leniency in this case, ironically, because we're going to say that since you didn't have any choice but to go down that street, even though you decide, you know what, since I'm going down that street, I'm going to enjoy smelling the Avodah Zohar. Or you said, even though I have no choice but to drag, since I have no choice but to drag this piece of furniture across the grass, I am going to deliberately have kavana and hope that it pulls up grass in order that I would be able to um, to benefit 
from the uh, from the mowing of the lawn, according to Abaye, that would be okay because according because he's saying Rabbi Yehuda discounts kavana altogether. He says it doesn't even matter. And Rava will tell you that when did Rabbi Yehuda say that ein mitkaven is kemitkaven that a person who doesn't have intent is like a person who has intent? That's only luchuma. That's only a stringency. But to take that and make it into a leniency that Rabbi Yehuda would not say. So according to the first version, what do we have? According to the first version, we have if the person is it has kavana that they want to derive benefit from the situation, then whether they chose it or not won't matter. What matters, in other words, the kavana, everyone agrees when a person wants the outcome, wants the enjoyment, that they're going to be liable. The situation was, the only it was, what would Rabbi Shimon say in a case where the person chose the situation? Okay, they, don't ha- they still don't have kavana to benefit from it. They don't intend, that's not their purpose, but they chose the situation when they had other options on the table. What would Rabbi Shimon say in such a case? And Re- Abaye was saying Rabbi Shimon would tell you that you are not liable because Rabbi Shimon will tell you that choosing the situation is not the same as wanting the outcome and he doesn't want the outcome. And Rafa would say, no, there Rabbi Shimon is going to tell you that you are uh, liable because in that case you chose the situation. It's as much as having kavana. But of course, Rabbi Yehudan in those situations, since you chose it, and he considers even an unintended consequence to be uh, to be a liability for you, is definitely going to say that you're that you're liable whether you wanted it or not. That's the opinion. Uh, that's the first view. That basically Rabbi Yehuda is saying that in every situation you will be liable, um, except in the situation where you had no choice and you didn't intend. And Rabbi Shimon will come along and say, actually, even when you had a choice and you didn't intend, you won't be liable. And, and that was the first version. The second version is saying that, no, everybody actually agrees that in a situation where, the, uh, where there's no, um, where, where the person has the choice, makes the choice, that is the machloket, that is the classic machloket between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon. Meaning, according to that, Rabbi Shimon is permitting, in a case even where you made the choice to put yourself in the situation, you made the choice to drag the light item instead of carrying it. You made the choice to go down that road instead of another road. Since you didn't have kavanah, you're going to be off the hook. The question is, where you didn't have a choice, but you have intention, which according to the first version, everybody agreed you were liable since you had intention. Here we're saying, no, maybe, in fact, where you had no choice, but you had intention, Maybe Rabbi Shimon, who is the one who generally uh, uh, is, you know, attaches importance to intention, right? So maybe in that case we see that it says Rabbi Shimon will tell you that um, that in, in such a situation where you didn't, where you had a choice but you had no intention, Rabbi Shimon is definitely going to be lenient. Okay, if you didn't have a choice and you didn't intend, everyone's going to agree it's permitted like the first way, right? The question is where you had no choice but you did have intention. According to Rabbi Shimon, he's going to be stricter according to this because he's going to say that since you had intention, even though you had no choice about the situation, you had intention, that's going to make you liable. And Rabbi Yehuda is going to be lenient here according to Abaye and say that the fact that you have intention doesn't matter since you didn't have a choice. According to Rabbi Yehuda, then the only question is whether you had a choice or not. Uh, Kavana won't matter at all according to Abaye. Rava says no. Since the person uh, is in this situation wants the outcome, Rabbi Yehuda is not going to ignore the fact that they want the outcome. He doesn't say ignore Kavana. He just says that we don't uh, we don't use kavan, lack of kavana as a leniency. So that's the, that's the two versions. Now the Gemara is going to deal with these two versions in the upcoming sugya. So it says, Amar uh, Abayabai says, Where do I get my idea? Okay, the idea 
um, that he's proposing here about the relationship. And we saw that he says that according to Rabbi Yehuda, there would be no uh, problem of a per- in a situation where you have no control over the situation. Then, Abba, then according to Abaye, Rabbi Yehuda would actually say that even if you had kavana, we don't, we don't care that you benefited from something you're not supposed to benefit from. And it says, where do I get that from? It says in the Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai would sit outside uh, in the shade of the Hechal, of the Beit HaMikdash. In other words, he would sit out there because it was a large area, because that was, a large, that was the only area large enough to accommodate all the students. So he would have everybody sitting outside. Right? And he would enjoy the shade of the Beit HaMikdash. That's benefiting. Now what do you see? So you see what? You see that even though it was, he had no other choice. That was the only place that would accommodate the students. But at the end of the day, he was happy about it. He enjoyed the, sh- the shade. So what do you see from that? Since he was not responsible for the situation, he had no choice but to have the students sit, sit there. Then even though he decided to enjoy the benefit of the Hechal, and he's, being, he's benefiting from the Hechal, it's okay. Because he didn't create the situation. So that's, that proves that I'm right. That that's what Rabbi Yehuda says. Rav says, no, Shani Echal. Rav says, that's no proof. Because the benefit of the Echal is inside, not outside. The fact that it casts a shadow outside is not considered benefiting from the Echal at all. That's not one of the benefits you're not allowed to have from the Beit HaMikdash. So that's not a good proof at all. That's not a proof of something where a person is in a situation and decides that they intend to benefit and they are nevertheless let off the hook. That's not a good example. So then Rav get? where do I get my idea? And his idea is that no, uh, that when a, even if a person didn't uh, create the situation and they weren't responsible for it and they had no control, they will still be liable if they have intention, according to, according to Rava, that everybody would agree that if they have intention, they would be liable, even if they didn't create the situation. That there, were, there was a little uh, sort of like area, we learned about this in Masachet Midot, there was an area above, like almost an attic over the Kodesh Kodeshim, that they would lower workers into the Kodesh Kodeshim to do work. So it says, They would put them in boxes, So they wouldn't gaze upon the Kodesh Kodeshim when they were doing maintenance work in there. So what do you see from that? Rabbi gives a good proof. He says, you see that even though these workers have no choice, they have to go do the maintenance work in the Kodesh Kodeshim, we still don't allow them to gaze upon the Kodesh Kodeshim. And if they had intention and they gazed upon it, they would be liable. So that you see from that, that even though they didn't create the situation, they're liable for the, the Hana'ah, for the benefit, if they intend to derive it. So it says, are you serious? This isn't a good example because visual enjoyment, okay, we say call the sound of the musicians of the Beit HaMikdash, for example, mar'e, the beauty of the Beit HaMikdash, gazing upon it, okay, and smell, there's no me'ilah, there's no misappropriation, meaning a person who benefits in that way from the Beit HaMikdash, from the sound, from the smell, from the sight, is not liable for misappropriating. So therefore, it wouldn't be a concern if the person had intent to look at the beautiful Kodesh HaKodeshim. It's just an extra level of sanctity that the rabbis wanted to encourage with the Kodesh HaKodeshim, that they didn't want people to be gazing on it and for it to become mundane. But it wasn't, it's not a case where actually having intent to benefit would even be a problem. It wouldn't even be prohibited. So therefore, we don't have to worry about that at all. So that's not a good example either. So, so far, we dismissed the example of Abaye enjoying the outer shade of the Hechal, because that's not really the per- type of benefit that you gain from the Hechal. And we dismissed the idea of gazing upon the Kodesh HaKodeshim, because that's not all, that's also not the kind of uh, benefit that we gain from the, uh, from the Kodesh HaKodeshim. So, so then, do we have any other, uh, any other uh, possibilities here? So Gemara says, that 
<coughs> another version of Rava's proof. Amar Rava, mina mina la. Where did I get my idea? The Tanya Amar Rosh Hashanah Bazei Rosh Hashanah Nevi Mishum Bakabal Kolom Marav Reach In Ben Mishum Meila. He flips it around. He says, Where do I get my idea? Because you see that sound and sight and smell are not considered to be misappropriations. They're not considered to be illegal benefits, right? Meila udeleka, which implies it's not really meila. Meaning, you wouldn't if you gazed upon the Beit Hamikdash and enjoyed it, or you smelled something, or you heard something, you wouldn't have to bring a korban meila ha'isua but the implication is that it's still forbidden to do so. It's just saying it's not meila. You wouldn't have to bring a korban for that. So my love, doesn't that mean that even the people who are standing inside, in other words, the people who are inside and they need to be in there, and yet, even though they need to be inside, they shouldn't be gazing. They shouldn't be having kavana to benefit because they're going to be pro- committing a, 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 a violation. He says, no, it means the people outside, people who don't need to be in there and don't need to be present in the area and are nevertheless looking in, those people it's forbidden to look in and gaze and, and, and benefit even in these indirect ways because there's no reason for them to be there. But if it's if it's a case where there's no choice other than to be there, so then even if you have kavanah to derive benefit, Abaye could be right that you're not liable. Gufa, let's go back to what we said before. You said that sound and sight and smell, there is no misappropriation, meaning you don't have to bring a korban meila for enjoying the Beit HaMikdash in that way. Is that really true that smell is not considered a benefit? That's not true. We learned If a person creates the exact replica of the recipe of the Ketoret, in order to learn how to do it, or he wants to give it as a donation to the community that they should be able to use it, that's okay. Um, even though it might not have been authorized, he's, um, it's not considered a violation of making the Ketoret on your own in... Uh, in the uh, even though normally it's at one of the Isurim is it says that uh, you're not allowed to make the Ketorot she says Ketorot Zarash and he makes his own version at home but he's just practicing or he wants to give it to the community afterwards but it's not being done under the auspices of the community so then it's uh, he's he's not liable for Karet because normally to create a replica of the Ketorot is Karet as we learned we learned in the uh, in, in uh, Parashat Kitisa actually it says um, that you're not allowed to make a replica of it so it says uh, so I'm sorry, but leharuiach ba if he made it in order to smell it. So then chayav, then if he made it for potpourri for his house, he wanted to make a good smell in his house, and he made a replica of the ketorah. That would be exactly what it says in the Torah is not allowed because the pasuk says um, that somebody who makes isha yukach kamo, if a person makes something like it. Uh, in order to smell it, he's chayav karet. He's going to get karet for that. So that would be the case. But at the same time, it says vameruiach ba. And it says, if somebody smells it, he doesn't get karet, but he committed me'ilah. So making the replica of the ketoret as a potpourri for your house is, is an isur of karet. But smelling it is not. It's just me'ilah. So you see from there that it's me'ilah then. It's, it is considered misappropriation because the person uh, created the ketoret and then uh, smelling the ketoret uh, would be a... Uh, now assuming that this is talking about, again... That um, the act, the the making of the ketorot and your on your own is the violation. But then we're talking about a different case where the person smells the ketorot that actually does belong to the community. If a person smells it, he didn't make it; he smelled it. He won't be liable for smelling the ketorot of the kodesh uh, of the uh, bet hamikdash. But he would have to bring a korban me'ilah, meaning he wouldn't be liable karet like he would for making it for himself. But he's still considered to be benefiting from the hekadesh by smelling it. So you see that reach is me'ilah. So Ella Amar the Rav Papa had to correct this. Kolu Marein Ben Mishumila that smell, that sound and sight. There's no Meila, but Lefisha In Ben Mamash because there's no substance. 
but and when it comes to Ketoret, when does the prohibition of Mila end? As soon as the smoke rises from it. And this is something that we actually learned about a lot when we were in Masechet Vachim, that the rule of Mila is that once a, an item which is holy fulfills its purpose and achieves its mitzvah, there's no more Mila on it anymore because it achieved its purpose. As long as it has not, there will be meila. So the ketoret, until such time as it's burnt, there would be meila to smell it. But once it's burnt and the smoke is rising, smelling it would not be a liability of meila because it's already fulfilled its, its mitzvah. You're telling me that if the, a thing fulfills its mitzvah, there's no more meila. We learned <coughs> the, the similar sugyat to this in Masachet uh, Vachim before. Now, what about Trumat Adeshin? Trumat Adeshin is that every morning, the first Avodah that they would do, the first Avodah the Kohanim would do is they would take a scoop of the ashes from the previous day and put it next to the Mizbeach. That was called Trumat Adeshin, and they would leave it there until it got piled up to a certain amount. When it got piled up to a certain amount, they would remove it. But this was the first Mitzvah of the day, and they had to place it there. And even that uh, pile of ashes next to the Mizbeach was forbidden in benefit. Because it says, you shall place it next to the Mizbeach. Right? First of all, etzel ha-mezbeach means that it, it shouldn't be spread out. It shouldn't be allowed to spread out. It should stay right next to the mezbeach, right? Vesamo, and he should put it, tells you, shelo yenet, he shouldn't benefit from it. So you see that it's asur bahana'ah. Even though he fulfilled the mitzvah of moving the ashes to the side of the mezbeach already, it's asur bahana'ah. So mishum So shouldn't we learn from that in general, that even though items that have, have fulfilled their mitzvah, there could still be a prohibition of benefit, of me'ilah. So it says, no, Mishum because there is a pasuk by Trumat Adeshin, by the removing of the ashes of the Mizbeach. And there's a pasuk by the clothing of the Kohanim that say the same thing, that a thing that has fulfilled its mitzvah will continue on being forbidden in benefit. And therefore, uh, when you have a double, okay, and anytime you have, in other words, two exceptions proves the rule. Meaning to say, if there's only one exception, that could be the rule. In other words, if we only had Trumat Adeshin and we saw that even after the mitzvah was fulfilled, there was still a prohibition of Hana'ah, we might generalize and say that, look, even things that fulfilled their purpose still have a prohibition of Me'ilah on them. But when you have two cases, you have the Big Day Kehuna and Trumat Adeshin, so now you realize that these two exceptions are being made because the rule doesn't go like them because it had to say it twice. It said in the case of Big Day Kehuna and it said in the case of Trumat Adeshin. So having it twice shows you that it's not a rule. It's only for those two cases. And that's what it means. When you have two psukim to prove the same idea, that means don't generalize. We have the Tumatadeshin case that we already said. That's the removal of the ashes. It says regarding the Big Day of the Kohen Gadol that he used on Yom Kippur, he should place them there. Meaning to say, which means they put them into Gniza, they put them away. No other Kohen Gadol or person would ever use them again. Even though the mitzvah was already fulfilled, because this is after the Kohen Gadol was finished with the Zavodav Yom Kippur, still, he, it, it cannot be used again. Okay. So that works for the Chachamim. The Chachamim say that what does it mean that he should put it there? It means that it can never be used again. So that shows you that there's a prohibition on benefit even though the mitzvah has been fulfilled. But what about Rabbi Dosa? Rabbi Dosa says that 
place them there doesn't mean that the Bigdei Kehunah cannot be used again. It just means they can't be used on Yom Kippur again by, by the Kohen Gadol. But a regular Kohen could use those Bigadim because the Bigadim, the clothing of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur is essentially the same as the clothing of the regular Kohen on every other day of the year. So the Kohen Gadol's clothing could be used by other Kohenim according to Rabbi Dosa. So that means that there is no prohibition in benefit. And that means that there's only one case that we have now of an item that fulfilled its mitzvah and is still prohibited in benefit. That's the Trumat tradition. And that maybe we should generalize from the Trumat Adeshin to all other cases. And so then it says, Because we have another case, actually. There's a third case, which is Egla Rufa, which is the decapitated calf. And as we learned many times, um, the, uh, if there's an unsolved homicide in between two cities, they would take a calf and decapitate it on the site uh, between the two cities. They, um, they would take a calf and they would decapitate it in a, an area that was an uh, unsown area, not, not, not the site of the murder. An unsown area. It would be brought by the, um, by the city that was closest to the site of the murder. And, uh, and that area would be sort of condemned forever and never be able to be used again. This Egla Wufat says that over there that no benefit can be derived from it. Okay, even though the mitzvah has been done already. Once you decapitate the calf, you fulfill the mitzvah, but you can't benefit from it. So, and anytime you have a double pasuk, you have two cases. You have the case of the big day kehuna, uh, sorry, you have the case of Tzumat Adeshen, where even though it fulfilled its mitzvah, it's still prohibited in benefit. And you have the case of Eglar Ufa, that even though it fulfilled its mitzvah, it's prohibited in benefit. So now, fine, we have the Eglar Ufa, where we know it says, you have to leave it there, you can't benefit from it in any way, even though the mitzvah has been done. And you also have... Um, the case of the, uh, the case of the, uh, you have the Chumat Adeshin, you have the Eglar Ufa. So this only works in Melamdin, that only works according to the position that says that when you have two Psukim, you can't derive any, any generalization of El But there is a view that says that even if you have two Psukim saying the same idea, you could still generalize. So what about that? So the answer is that there are two limiters, limiting words, because there are two limiting words that tell you not to generalize. Because when it talks about Chumat Adeshin, it says visamo place it meaning only this is something which after its mitzvah is fulfilled is still prohibited in benefit and ha arufa is the decapitated calf the ha arufa the hey there is emphasizing that only in this case do we have an idea that after a mitzvah is fulfilled the item is still forbidden in benefit everything else is not included in that category and therefore we don't generalize and we say that once a mitzvah is fulfilled in something, it no longer has, it's no longer limited by the prohibition of me'ilah, because the mitzvah has been fulfilled. And that's why the, the ketoret, once it's burnt already, meaning once the smoke is rising already, there's no more prohibition on smelling. Now, the Gemara says, Now we're going back to the question of situations in which you didn't choose the situation, but you uh, preferred, you enjoyed the benefit intentionally. So it says, Now according to Rashi, we're talking here about the Egla Ufa, According to Tosafot, it's talking about the para aduma. Either way, you put it into Rufka, you put it into like a stall with the other animals, and it tramples on because it would put the animals in an area that would tr- they would trample on the grain to break it up. It made the processing easier. So you, you put this animal in ostensibly to nurse from its mother, and meanwhile it tramples on some grain. So so then it's still but if you had in mind, let it nurse and also, let it nurse from its mother and also trample on some grain, so now you are, you ruined it. Because both the Eglarufa and the Para Aduma have the rule that they can never be worked. Once they are worked, they become invalid. So that, so you, even though the purpose, in other words, it was Laifshar, it was a case where you didn't have a choice. You had to put this baby calf in with its mother so that it would be able to, uh, to nurse. So you didn't have a choice, but you didn't have to intend and desire for it to trample the grain. And yet you did. 
So then you wanted the work. So what do you see from that? So you see there. And you had no choice but to put the animal in with its mother. And and since you wanted the work that it was going to do, we say that that work is considered work. That's considered that you derived benefit from this animal. Uh, you benefited from the work because you intended, even though you didn't intend for the situation. So that should be generalized to other cases as well. That seems to support the position of Rava, that even though you didn't choose the situation, if you want the outcome, you're liable for it. So that's different because there it uses the passive term that it was not worked with in the passive. And that's actually a pasuk that comes from Egla Arufa, which might be the reason why Rashi thinks this is talking about Egla Arufa. It was not worked. It's in the passive term, meaning it doesn't matter so much your intent, or at least we could say that your responsibility is heightened. It's less significant you, um, how actively involved you are in the working of this animal. But maybe in other cases, if you didn't, if you didn't Set, like agree to the situation, then even if you had intent for the benefit, it wouldn't matter. But here, since we, it's a higher standard, so therefore we say that um, that even though you didn't intend for the, uh, even though you you didn't have a choice but to put the animal in with its mother, since you intended for its work, that work becomes a halachic problem. That could be true only in Eglarufa or in Paraduma, but no other case. if then why not in the first case also? Because in the first case, you put the animal in and it threshed. And it doesn't say that you wanted it to, but it did. And, and you're saying that it doesn't matter if you wanted it to or not. But this is only similar to the following situation. If, the, if an, a bird landed on the para'aduma, okay, before it's used, that's not considered that it had an, a, a yoke placed on it. That's not considered that you put a burden on it. It's just a bird landed on it, okay? It's still kasher, but But if a male mounts the para'aduma to mate with it, then it becomes pasul. What's the reason? I'm sorry. If it had said avad, which sounds like uh, the person worked the animal, and we read it as avad, then that would mean that the owner has to do work with the animal in order to make it pasul. If it was in the past and written, if it was in the passive form of ubad to be worked with, okay, and we read it that way, so that would mean that even if the person had no involvement at all, then the fact that the animal served in some way to work would be itself a disqualifier. But now what do we say? So that's Avad v'karinan ubad. It's funny because the letters written in the Torah are avad without the vav. Ayin bet dalid. But we read it as ubad as if there were a vav in the middle. So ubad dumyad avad. So that shows you that the ubad has to be similar to the avad. In other words, there has to be some true that it's passive, that it is worked as a passive thing, but it has to be with some involvement of the person. Okay? Meaning, ma'avad nichale. At the very least, the person has to be happy with it. Av ubad nichale. Just like something that he does actively, he's pleased with it, he must be pleased with it. So if a bird lands on your cow, you don't care. But if an animal mounts the cow, which is productive for mating, for producing more animals, that would be considered Something nichale that he's happy about, he's pleased with that. Similarly, if he puts the animal in to nurse with its mother and he didn't really care or want it to do any threshing, so that's considered something that he has no intent for and he doesn't gra- derive any benefit from, right? So we would say that, uh, th- therefore, since it's not something he's interested in and doesn't have a desire for, so we, he's not, it, it's not considered to be work. But where he wanted it, then it is considered to be work. So we, the point is that it has to do with his desire. 
um, in this case. It's unique to this case. But in other cases, kavana might not play that role. And we might say that if you're in a situation that's unavoidable, the fact that you had kavana to benefit uh, is, not a, is not going to necessarily mean that you're responsible for that situation. We might not generalize so far. Um, and so the Gemara goes on and says, Tashima, come and listen. Let's say a person has found a lost object and they're responsible for taking care of the lost object, keeping it, preserving it, and all that. They're not allowed to cause, allow damage to come to it. So let's say he has to spread it out. It's some kind of a, a piece of clothing or whatever or a tapestry. He shouldn't spread it out on his bed or on a stick for display so that he can enjoy it while he's watching it for somebody else. He's watching this Aveda, uh, this lost lost object, he's going to benefit from it by decorating his house. He shouldn't do that. But if it's for the purpose of keeping the tapestry or the carpet or the clothing in good condition, so then he's allowed to do it. However, if he has guests come over, but if, even if he needed to unravel the tapestry and hang it for the benefit of the tapestry or for the benefit of the rug, if he has guests come over, he should not do so. Why? Because he's going to benefit from them seeing the beauty of his house. So what do you see there? You see that that's called Delo Ifshar. It's something where he has no choice, meaning that he has to put it out because he has to hang it because it's for the benefit of the lost object. Okay? He has no, he has no choice of that, in that matter. <clears throat> they, but he's going to have kavana that his friends are going to see that he has this beautiful rug or beautiful tapestry hanging in his house. So you see that even though he didn't choose the situation, having kavana and intent to benefit from the situation is still going to be credited to him. And so therefore it would be a problem. So it says, no, and, and we should derive, we should derive support for Rava. Rava said exactly the same thing, that it, even though a person didn't choose the situation, if they choose to have intent to benefit from it, that is going to be held against them. So the Gemara says, no, Shaneatam de Kalela. There, it's a different story. It's not because of the person's intent that he's benefiting from it. That's not the problem. It's that it's going to cause harm to the object. Why? Either because of ayin hara, a person's going to see this beautiful thing and they're going to have negative, resentful uh, wishes and feelings against that object for whatever reason, they're going to be jealous. Or they might see it in his house and come and steal it later. People will see he has a party in his house and then people are going to see that this tapestry hanging, they're going to come back later to steal it. So he's actually jeopardizing the item itself. That's why he's not allowed to hang it. Not because he has intent to benefit from someone else's lost object. That's not the reason. If, the, if that were the problem, so then we would say that any time that, uh, that you chose a, uh, you didn't choose a situation, having kavanah to benefit is still a problem. Now it's saying, no, that's not true. It wasn't because he had kavanah to benefit. It was because he, was, he would cause damage to the object by displaying it when there were guests over. That's the reason. But in a situation where you didn't choose the situation at all and you're just wanting to benefit from something that you uh, normally wouldn't, then you might not be liable for that. And we might be like, like Abaye says. So now we say like another final example, a final case, Tashima it says that a pr- people who sell clothing that is, uh, that is shatnez, they can model it for their customers as long as they don't have intent during this, when it's very sunny to protect themselves from the sun or when it's raining to protect themselves from the rain, they're just showing off the clothing. But those who are more modest and more careful about the, want to be more, uh, have more yirat shamayim, they will hang it behind them on a stick rather than wear it on their own body. So what do you see in this case? Very interesting. 
Ha, so, so what do you see? You see that the, not, the fact that the person will put shadnez on their body is okay as long as they don't have kavana. Very strange. What do you see here? Even though you have the opportunity to do it another way because you could have just hung it on a stick the way that the tznuim, the way that the very religious would do is they wouldn't put it on their bodies. You see, you have another option. And yet we say that even if you put it on your own body, as long as you don't have kavanat to benefit from it, it's okay. So it shows you, that at the very least refutes the first version of Rava. Because the first version of Rava, if we remember back on Kaf Hey Amud Aleph, in the first version of Rava, we said that everyone agrees if you have, the, the question was, if the person created the situation but didn't have kafana, what would Rabbi Shimon say? Rabbi Yehuda would definitely say it's, it's still not allowed because he says that Davar Sheinu Mitkaven is still prohibited. But according to Rabbi Shimon, what would he say? And Rava said that since you're choosing a situation, you would be liable even though you're not choosing to benefit, you're not intending to benefit. Okay, you see that that's not the case because this Mishnah from Kilaim, Masachet Kilaim actually about Chatnez, shows you that even though you had another option, and you chose this option, since you don't have kavana, you're off the hook. So at the very least, that, might, that would be Rabbi Shimon according to Abaye, the first version of Abaye, um, not according to Rava. Namely, that since the person doesn't have intent, even though they chose the situation, they still are not held liable. But we didn't come up with any final refutations either way with respect to the second version of the Machloka between Abaye and Rava. In the first version of Abaye and Rava, um, that that sa- satisfies us that uh, that Ravak could not be right that if you chose the situation but you don't choose choose to benefit that you're liable. But in the second version where we said uh, in in the uh, that where it's where you chose it and uh, and you don't have intent that everyone agrees that Rabbi Shimon says that's okay. So that would fit perfectly with this Mishnah and Kilayim. So for sure it seems like that interpretation of Rabbi Shimon is correct, but it of course leaves open from the second version, what would Rabbi Yehuda say in a situation where you had no choice but you to be in the situation, but you do have Kavanah to benefit? Would Rabbi Yehuda be so extreme to say that Kavanah doesn't matter and say that you're off the hook? Or even Rabbi Yehuda there would say that since you have intention to benefit, um, you are liable. And that we weren't able to come up with a satisfactory answer. But with regard to Rabbi Shimon, we know that whether you chose the situation or not, as long as you don't have intent to benefit, you're okay. And of course, one question that I'm sure many of you thought of along this discussion, and it is discussed by the Rishonim, is what about the issue of Pasik uh, Reshe? We normally say that according to Rabbi Shimon, even though uh, benefit is prohibited, uh, or even though an action is prohibited and Davar Shein Omit Kaven is allowed, uh, it, when you don't have intent for something, you are normally off the hook for that. But we usually say Pesik when it is unavoidable, when it is a, a, uh, an unavoidable consequence of your actions, meaning that it's inevitably going to happen, you're going to get the benefit or you're going to a- a- achieve the outcome, whether you like it or not. So then we would normally say that even Rabbi Shimon agrees that the person is, uh, is liable. So how come if the person wears clothing that's going to protect him from the sun, even though he doesn't intend for that, or if he walks down the street and he's going to smell the food, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's going to, um, he's going to uh, not be liable for that since he didn't intend to, because uh, uh, we normally would say in a case where things are 
uh, are inevitable that the person, whether they intend or not, is going to be liable even according to Rabbi Shimon. So that's an interesting discussion uh, uh, that the commentaries do take up. But we're not going to go into it for today. But we're going to continue from here tomorrow into the next discussion, which is, again, largely uh, on issues related to kashrut that, are, that do have a lot of practical applications, which should be very interesting. Hope everyone stays safe in the snow.